Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. I'm pretty sure that most of our listeners have heard the song, Amazing Grace. Some may even know all the words. You know, there are estimates that the song is performed around the world 10 million times annually. But how many really take heed to what the words are saying? Is Amazing Grace sweet to your ear? Would you call yourself the wretch that once was lost and now is found? Or do you recoil from such language? What about grace teaching your heart to fear? Have you ever been under a true conviction of sin, as the writer is referring to? And was grace precious to you at the hour when you first believed? Yes, Amazing Grace is a truly beautiful song. But how sad that many music artists around the world, while lending their beautiful voices and instrumental skills to the song, hardly appreciate what the song is truly all about. Well, it contains the simple gospel message of the awareness of sin, the grace of God in saving souls, and the joy of the believer upon receiving that message. In today's broadcast, speaker Jim Jarvis takes a closer look at this song and the scriptural meaning it employs. I'm mentioning that I was going to speak on the subject of that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, and hopefully be able to tell you a few reasons why that hymn is so popular today all around the world. It seems like we hear this hymn over and over again. We are used to hearing that song either being played or sung. The author of that hymn was a man by the name of John Newton. And many years ago, actually in 1779, a long time ago, he was in his study thinking about a poem, a hymn that he could write that would be a comfort. This was a Sunday afternoon, and he wanted to write something that would be a comfort to his congregation as they went back to their busy lifestyles on Monday morning. And he began to reflect on his own life. And he was reading in First Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 16, these words, And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? David was reflecting on his blessings and the honors that had been bestowed upon him. And he says to the Lord, Who am I, O Lord, and what is mine house? You see, David recognized that he did not deserve the blessings of God that had fallen upon him. Now let's turn to the Gospel of John, John 1 and verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The last part of that verse particularly, I want you to notice with me. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And a last reading in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, that godly man, John Newton, as he penned the words of this very remarkable hymn, Amazing Grace, was reflecting on the dealings of God in his life. The first verse of that hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. He had been in his past life a very ungodly young man. He had a a mother who was a Christian. I'm not so sure about his father. His father was a sea captain, but his mother was a godly Christian who taught young John Newton many hymns when he was a boy. But at the age of seven, John Newton's mother passed away very tragically. And young John was left there in his father's care. And of course, with others taking care of him, his father was away at sea so much. But even as a young lad, John experienced many different circumstances that brought him face to face with eternity. At one time, just around eight or nine years of age, he was thrown from a horse and landed in a hedgerow, barely missing a sharpened stake that was sticking out of the ground. And so he came to realize just how fragile his life was. And then just before the age of 11, he was going to run away with another young friend of his and stow away on a ship and perhaps become a cabin boy. And so they made their arrangements to board a ship that was there berthed in the harbor close to their home. And the appointment was made. They were supposed to meet and board that ship. But for some reason, young John was delayed and he didn't meet his friend at the appointed time. As a matter of fact, he arrived as the ship was sailing out of the harbor. His young friend had gotten aboard that ship without him. And much to his dismay, that ship sank before it could get clear of that bay close to the harbor. And his young friend perished in that awful accident. John Newton was made aware again of eternity and of how fragile life really is. At the age of 11, he went to sea with his father for several years. And then around the age of 17, he was pressed into the service of Her Majesty's Navy. At that time, they were often forced onto ships and they had to serve a large naval vessel, 350 crew members. But John Newton did not like his circumstances. That young teenage young man rebelled against the authority and the strict discipline. And at one point, he tried to escape, but he was caught. And as a result of that infraction, he was tied to a grate on that ship. And in front of 350 other sailors, he was lashed 96 times. Horrible beating. And as he lay in his bunk, recuperating from that awful beating, He determined in his heart that as soon as he was well enough, he was going to kill the captain of that ship and then throw himself into the sea and take his own life. And as he lay there full of hatred and plotting against the captain who had ordered his beating, he finally came to the conclusion that it wasn't the right thing to do. And as he recovered, he finally was traded to another ship. He was so glad to get off that naval vessel. But of course, he ended up on a slave trading boat. And again, things went wrong in the life of young John Newton. He ended up down on the west coast of Africa at the country called Sierra Leone. He was basically given away to a slave trader who gave him to his wife to become her servant. And as he said later, in later years, he became 
a slave of other slaves. And he was horribly treated. Eventually, after a couple of years, he was rescued by another captain. His father had commissioned that captain, if he ever came into contact with his son, to try to rescue him and bring him back to England. And that captain managed to find John Newton on the coast of Sierra Leone, got him on his own boat, and they began their long journey back to England. But somewhere outside of Ireland, close to Donegal, they ran into a tremendous storm. And as that boat tossed and turned in the waves of that storm, and in mortal fear of perishing in the waves, at one point, the captain called down into that ship for crew members to come to the top to help with the rigging. And a young sailor jumped in front of John Newton as they were climbing up the ladder to the top of the deck. And as his young friend jumped out on the deck, a wave swept him off out into the ocean. And John Newton's crewmate was swept away and perished. John Newton survived. And in the teeth of that storm, for the first time, John Newton cried out to God, cried for deliverance. It wasn't long after that, just a few months later, as his search For God continued on another ship during another storm as he lay in his bunk sick. He finally trusted Christ as his savior. Here was a young man who had been involved in one of the most despicable occupations that a person could be ever involved in. The slave trade, trading in the lives of other human beings. And yet God in his mercy reached right down to where that young man was in all of his sin. And he saved him. That's why in the second line of that hymn, he could say, who saved a wretch like me. It's a tremendous story. And in later years, he became the advisor to another very famous man by the name of William Wilberforce, who was the man who led the charge in the British Parliament to banish slavery in the British Empire. And so John Newton had a tremendous influence. He became a preacher of the gospel. And he wrote this beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. But you know, when we turn to John chapter 1, and we read there in verse 17, that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I want to tell you tonight that the only way a person can ever experience this amazing grace of God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at this hymn and read it through, you will probably have noticed that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is not mentioned. Even though every Christian who has an understanding of what John Newton was writing understands that he is speaking about the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is referring to him in the second verse, that grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And we have to emphasize that he's not telling us here that in that hour he believed in grace. No, he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was the grace of God that was bestowed upon him because he came to Christ for salvation. And that grace of God that is spoken of there really is all about the riches that are found in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are two aspects of the gospel that we often emphasize. And one of them is the blessings that we receive when we come to Christ. There were two very famous preachers back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, named Paul Lazou 
The other one was Henry Ironside. That's a familiar name to some of us who have as many commentaries in our libraries. But Paul Ozu and Henry Ironside were great gospel preachers. And it was said of those two men that Paul Lazou knew what it was to tell people what they would receive when they came to Christ. That was the emphasis of his preaching. Harry Ironside, on the other hand, it was said of him that he would tell people what they were going to get if they didn't receive Christ as their Savior. You see, those men placed different emphasis in their preaching, but they were both right And I like to think that I would emphasize both aspects of the gospel. What you will receive when you come to Christ and receive salvation and experience this amazing grace. And we also need to be faithful and warn men and women and boys and girls what you will receive if you reject God's grace and if you fail to come to Christ for salvation. The Bible speaks very clearly of the punishment of those who reject the Lord Jesus. An eternal punishment. A punishment that goes on forever. And the Bible speaks so clearly of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And words are used by the Lord Jesus himself. The very source of all grace and truth. And he tells us that it is an awful place to be. Separated from God for all eternity, in a place of fire and brimstone. And yet, when it comes to the grace of God and the riches that are found in Christ, what a contrast, the blessings for those who will come to Christ as lost sinners. You know, when it comes to the beautiful words of this hymn, I often wonder, what is it that makes it so attractive the world over? And we hear this hymn so often in funerals, In government circles, it is very likely the most well-known and famous hymn in the world, likely alongside that beautiful children's hymn, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, for the Bible Tells Me So. But you know, I wonder, what is it that people think about? What is it that they see when they hear this hymn? You know, when you go to the Old Testament, back in the book of Numbers, chapter 23, we read about a man named Balaam. And Balaam was a man that was contracted by a king. King Balak, to pronounce a curse on Israel. He was offered money and fame and position if he would only curse Israel so that Balak could gain the upper hand and drive them out of his lands. Well, of course, Balaam wasn't able to do that. God gave Balaam different words to speak in blessing Israel, and it made King Balak very angry and upset. But Balaam stuck to his message And at one point, in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 10, he says these words, Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. Here is Balaam expressing his desire to end his life like the righteous, that his latter end, his last end would be like the righteous. You know, there are many in this world, and when you present them with the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when you explain to them the blessings that are found in the grace of God, when they come as a lost sinner to Jesus, there are many that see the value and the worth of that. There are many that have tremendous respect for Christians who profess such faith and who live it out in their lives. 
But you know what the problem is? As much as it might have some appeal to them, and as much as they might like to experience it, and to be like those who have experienced it, they hold back. And they might, in some vicarious way, try to experience it in the singing of a hymn like this, or listening to the words, but they have never truly come to Christ. You know, there are many in the world today that are living vicarious lives. And that simply means putting yourself into the lives of others. That's why the television and the internet and movies and novels and stories and all that kind of thing are so popular because we like to kind of immerse ourselves in the lives of others. And you know, that is what so characterizes the lives of many. And there are many that can read or sing or listen to this beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, and it gives them maybe a nice feeling. And maybe they think it would be so nice to be a part of this hymn. But I fear there are many. And although they may love the hymn, it does have a beautiful tune. And of course, the words just seem to flow. And it may give you a warm and a, and a fuzzy feeling. But can I say carefully, and yet with emphasis, that the only way you will ever experience this amazing grace is if you experience God's salvation through Jesus Christ as a lost sinner. You see, the source of this marvelous and amazing grace takes us right to the fountainhead, the place called Calvary, where our Lord Jesus Christ was nailed to that tree and where on full display the marvelous grace of God was there presented to us in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. His burial and his glorious resurrection. There's another very famous hymn that we often sing. It probably closely rivals Amazing Grace. And it's that hymn in connection with the creation, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made. And you know, the soaring words of the chorus then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. But you know, the third verse of that hymn, it is often skipped over when the famous singers are singing this hymn. Sometimes it's even left out of hymn books, the most important verse of that hymn. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. That is the story, the true story of amazing grace. You can have the most beautiful voices in the world, and I've heard some of them, and their voices, of course, go up and down. I can't even follow them in their singing. They have so much modulation, and they're able to use their voice in such a way that it's so beautiful to listen to. You can have the greatest voices in the world sing that hymn. And you can listen to it by those who play the bagpipes. And there's a haunting sound to it that just seems to make the emotions well up from within. And there are so many ways that you might enjoy this hymn. But can I emphasize to you that if you fail to get to the cross of Christ and see there the Lord Jesus Christ bleeding and dying for you as a lost, perishing sinner, you will never experience the amazing grace that this hymn is talking about. This is not just about singing a hymn and having a warm, 
and fuzzy feeling. This is about experiencing the truth of God's grace, that Christ died for the ungodly. I have heard some of these famous singers, and I am almost certain, although only God knows these things, but it seems by their lives and by other things they're involved in that they have little or no knowledge of God's salvation or the grace of God. And yet they sing it so beautifully. And I wonder, what are they thinking? The second line of that verse, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, that is one of the things that is missing from gospel preaching all around the world today in many different places. Oh, they like to speak about all of the blessings that are found in the Bible. And they might even speak well of the Lord Jesus, but they don't like to emphasize the fact that we are lost sinners and in danger of losing our souls for all eternity unless we experience the marvelous grace of God. You know, as a born-again believer who has had this experience, I thank God for that moment in my life when I acknowledged I was a lost sinner. And I was the wretch that is mentioned in the second line of this hymn that saved a wretch like me. And even though I was just a young boy of 11, the truth was real to my heart. I deserved eternal death, but Jesus died for me. The truth that every true Christian understands. We were the ones that were lost. We were the ones that were perishing, but Jesus died for me. The cross of my blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus, became real to me. I took him as my Savior. And dear one listening to me tonight, I would just like to say to you, and this is an appeal, the marvelous grace of God is available to you tonight. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved. And that is a marvelous truth, that the blessing of God in salvation is what saves the soul. But notice what he goes on to say, through faith, through faith, it is simple trusting faith that lays hold upon the grace of God in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, that simply trusts that finished work. We have no part in this whatsoever. It's all the work of God finished there at Calvary by our Lord Jesus Christ. We simply have to take it. So, Is grace amazing to you? Do you appreciate the free gift of God in the sacrifice of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, given to you, based not on merit, but on God's love for you? Yes, the believer can sing, "'Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." Do you have this confidence? And do you have the assurance that you will be in heaven 10,000 years from now with no less days to sing God's praise than when you first begun? You know you can? Won't you acknowledge, like John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, your lost and wretched state, and reach out your empty hands to receive God's amazing grace? If you do, the words of this beautiful hymn will also be the language of your heart. Trust this blessed Savior, won't you? And the next time you hear Amazing Grace, listen more closely to the words and turn to the Savior of whom it speaks. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. 
Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.